how do we even do an intro? We just go. How do your other podcasts start? They just talk. They just start talking? Yeah. Hello, and welcome. You are listening to the Back in Action Podcast. I'm Kenny, and I'm joined with my co-host. What, what do you want me to call you? What are you? Who are you? Justin is fine. Is it fine? Are you Justin, sure it's fine? Justin will do. Justin will do? Okay, I'm here with Justin. Hello. But you're probably asking yourself, what the fuck am I listening to? What is this? What are these, what two, are these two What are these two people not wearing shirts in their apartment? What am the, I going to have for dinner tonight? What am I? Who am I? Listen, um, if our podcast caused you to have an existential dread, please stop. Yeah. You, like existential crisis. You need to go listening. see a therapist, a doctor, something. But anyways, what is this? Well, this is the Back in Action podcast. And so this is one of those, you know, two dudes talking podcasts. Justin and I, we've been friends for a few years. Um, four. Four? We four are around. Years. All the greats around their stats. We'll say four. <laughs> four years. Yeah, we've been friends for four years. Um, and... I've always, me personally, I can't speak for Justin, but I've always listened to radio when I was a kid, and I really wanted to be like a radio presenter or something when I was younger. And then radio went the way of the dodo, and so Thankfully now... the internet came to save it, though. Right, like now we have podcasts. And so now fucking anyone can buy a Blue Yeti, not sponsored, and make their own podcast and so this is what we are (laughs) yeah so here we are and i mean what should we say about ourselves we're both really young for most podcasters i mean the youngest guys i can think of at least that i listen to are sardonic cast and they're around our age where they're in their early 20s we're both we are towards the end of college yeah we're the tail end of college in the milwaukee area um, neither of us are from Milwaukee. We're both from Chicagoland. Mm. Um, oh, that's going to put a dent in our fucking reputation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, that's the thing, is I'm not sure how many people hate Chicagoland. Again, we're living in Milwaukee. Everyone hates us. Right. But that, that might just be a Milwaukee thing. I know that a lot of people hate New York. I know there's a lot of people in Wisconsin in general who don't like seeing Illinois plates on the road. Yeah. Well, that's because we drive normally, and they do not. But we'll talk about driving and us later. But anyways, we're mostly... So this is what I love about the name, Back in Action. Despite what we've been talking about up to this point, it's going to be video games is our main topic, because... We're both gamers. We like playing video games. Don't use that word. <laughs> don't, don't use, use the hard r <laughs> don't use the g word with a hard r you're right but we're we both play video games we that's most of the content i'd say i consume it's that and anime again we're, because i hate myself we're willing to talk about pretty much anything as, oh, as yeah. stated bitching about people driving and cars i don't know right. how much about cars we Hopefully might not a lot again it's like full disclosure i listen to a lot of hello internet a lot of Cortex, even Sacred Symbols. Now, Sacred Symbols is a bespoke gaming podcast. This is 
This is what I love about the name Back in Action. This is Justin's name. He came up with this one. I'll give him. We might four. have we might have a backstory on it in a later episode. I'm May not have. Willing, I'm not willing to discuss it now. Yeah, but the the thing that I love about the name is it isn't. It's like the Hello Internet name. It's not Kenny and Justin talk about video games for exactly two and a half hours every Tuesday. Which actually might be more descriptive and might actually work for telling people what we actually do at a glance. Fuck you, Justin. <laughs> no, but I like the name we came up with. Right. Well, it's the name you came up with, which is probably why you like it. Of course, it's my baby. Cunt. Well, at least the name is. The show's your idea. Yeah. Fat. I keep saying really mean words. I don't mind it. I hope our listeners don't. So how we plan on starting most of these episodes and how we're going to start this one is we're going to start by talking about, because we're big into gaming, we're going to talk about what we've been playing recently. And because I'm such a gentleman and I'm Jesus. so nice. Shut the fuck up. Uh, because I'm so nice... I will let Justin start by telling me what he's been playing recently. So, what I've been playing recently is sort of an odd question. It's So, I have started Hollow Knight. I got it on the Christmas sale recently. Um, but that has been put on the back burner because I have recently started playing Final Fantasy IV. Or... Final Fantasy 2, as it was originally released on the Super Nintendo back in the States. Um, it's it, it's actually Final Fantasy 4. I know it's Final Fantasy 4. I refuse to hear it referred to as Final Fantasy 2. The whole point of me playing through Final Fantasy 4, though, is that I, even in all of the years that I have spent with video games as my main hobby, have never actually played... A Final Fantasy game, like ever, with the exception of that one time I played a small amount of nine in in a dorm room, but with me, yeah, that was. I've never played a Final Fantasy game. I'm not really into that uh, JRPG style of game. So Kenny was like, "Well, this sounds like something fun to put Justin through," and I've agreed somehow to to some extent. So yeah, I'm playing through Final Fantasy four right now. And that'll be something that we talk about as I play through it. Because this is a long game. This is a long game. I've been playing for... My current save file is 4 hours and 40 minutes. Something like that. And as far as I understand, that is like a demo. That's like a tenth of the way through the game, oh, I'd Jesus say. Fucking Christ. It's not that long in comparison. It feels long. I know that... I know my on... I know my file timer says four and a half four and a half hours, four hours, 45 minutes. It's felt way longer than that. But we will, we will discuss Final Fantasy IV and everything about it at a later time. But that's besides the point. Now it's my turn. Now it's the and person that's... What have that's you been really... playing, Ken? Oh, God. Answer the question. I didn't study! <laughs> uh, the Okay, so what I've been playing... Let me look at my notes... This says nothing about what I've been playing recently. Uh, I've been playing... Like, you rustle a blank piece of paper. That's basically <laughs> what I just did. Um, but I've been playing, similar to Justin, I've been playing a lot of Bravely Default uh, JRPG. Of course, it's early 2020. 
um, people that watched the Game Awards last year saw that Bravely Default 2, which is actually the third game in the Bravely Default series, Japanese sequel naming conventions aside. Um, high Kingdom Hearts. High Resident Evil. So, yeah, I've been playing through Bravely Default because I've heard a lot of great things about it. I keep hearing that it's really good and I should really play it. And I'm like, oh, I'll play it later. Oh, I'll play it later. And now there's finally a sequel for it coming out on the Switch, which I own and quite enjoy and all that fun shit. So something I don't understand, mm-hmm. and this might be because of just my unfamiliarity with this genre. What yeah. is Bravely Default's USP? Okay, so th- I actually wanted to talk about this. What Bravely Default lets you do is, I think, a really interesting thing, and it makes me really excited for the new one, is it allows you to do, like the title says, not that you'd be able to claim that, it's it's a very stupid title, but it allows you to either brave or default, and default... Justin's laughing right now. Um, but default is like a block, or in Final Fantasy IV, it's like a parry. And so your character or the character doesn't hit or doesn't do anything. They just block, and it raises their defense and stuff like that. Um, and then the next turn, they get like an extra point on a move scale. And so you can stack how many moves you do in a single turn using Brave. And so you can stack up to four times and you can use default up to, I think, three times in a row will give you four moves to make. And that allows you to chain stuff together in interesting ways and stagger out moves and i think it's an interesting usp i really enjoy it um and i'm only about 25 ish hours in i've played it a lot during winter break uh and from what i understand i'm about halfway through and it's really good i'm excited there's a second one on the 3ds called bravely second which is also a dumb name. It also doesn't fit with the theme that we established, the mechanical theme that the first title has, because it's the name of the two moves in the game. Yeah, the mechanic. So unless they rename Default to Second, which would make no fucking sense, then the the title is bad, 0 out of 10. But the... I mean, the game's really good. I really enjoy Bravely Default. Not Bravely Second, because I just haven't played it yet. I don't know anything. Um, but other than that, I've also been playing a lot of War Thunder recently. Jesus, you are the single most boring person on the entire face of the planet. Oh, fucking drink me. All right. War Thunder, like Bravely Default, is old as sin. It's like six years old by now. I remember MatPat, back when he was relevant and good, made a video. Why? Why? Made a video about War Thunder. Don't say his name. <laughs> the cursed one. <laughs> the cursed Matt Pat. Ugh. But yeah, he made a video about War Thunder once. I think that's how I got introduced to it. And I really like War Thunder. Uh, 
And what I've been playing fate. exclusively as Italy because I hate myself. Because he's in it for the memes, that's yeah. why. It's the pasta can tanks. Thank you, Bocahoan one. Um, but that reminds me of something that I need to talk about to display just how smart I am. Because uh, this is the thing. You can probably tell. I can work the mic. I'm great at this podcast shit. It's my first episode, and I'm already in my fucking prime. Are you sure? No. Um, are you sure? Because I don't think you are. I, I could improve. Everyone can improve. Most of which me. And speaking of that and driving things. Cars. No. So, I'm an idiot. Yes, as established. Right. Uh, fuck you. And so, Justin, you'll remember this. A few months ago, or a month or two ago, it got cold in Wisconsin. It did. L- like it normally does. And this is when the inside and outside of your car have different temperatures to an appreciable degree. And this causes fog. Yes, on the windows. Yeah, on your windows, you, on the outside or inside, depending on the season. In this season, it was inside. You've been on planet Earth. I assume you've noticed this phenomenon. Anyways, Kenny had problem, and he's had problem before. And occasionally, magically got it to fix itself by flailing randomly. But there was... Fog on the inside of my windshield while I was driving into the downtown one day. And my big brain move was, I can't see anything. Like, I, it's impossible. So you kept driving. Well, th- that was the first problem. The second problem was, in order to make sure I could see things, I took off my hat and I used that to wipe the inside of the windshield so already um i it you probably all understand where this is going the punchline of this joke is kenny didn't know what a what a front windscreen defroster was yeah long story short i looked up when i got to my destination how to fix the problem and it's like oh that's what that button does yeah, I felt like an idiot, but not as big of an idiot as yesterday, I think it was. I was driving to work in the morning. And he discovered the brake pedal. <laughs> I was driving to work in the morning, not dignifying that with a response. And before I got in, it's winter in Wisconsin, in case you didn't know. And it just snowed recently. Like yeah, it the just past- snowed. Two days. Yeah. Fuck me. Uh, but I, before I got my car, I got my, my scraper out and I scraped all the ice off my windshield. And it was thick on there. There's a lot of ice on the windshield. I was kind of worried about that, but I was able to get it like chipped off after 10 minutes or so. Like it took time and I got in my car and I started driving and then like two minutes later ice reformed on the windshield it was impossible for me to see anything i had to pull over to the side of the road 
get the scraper back out and scrape the windshield again. And I'm like, okay, maybe something fucked up, but now it'll work. Uh, same thing happened like two minutes later. I texted my boss and told her, I, I'm going to try getting there. Ken. Ken. I, I'll tell you what my solution was Ken. in a moment. Ken. Yes. I don't believe your story. I... <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. We're assuming this happened post-defroster, correct? Like the defog, yes. This is why I don't believe it. Okay. Hear me out, because I found the solution to the problem. So, I, I fiddled with a lot of things, and I'm like, you know what? Make ice not ice more is hot. And so I turned up the internal heat of the car... By, like, turning the heat up inside the car, basically. Yes. And that worked. It basically, the heat transfer, the, the, it melted the ice, kept oh, it as water. Oh, man. <laughs> Physics! <laughs> We're but, learning so much. But the thing is, like, I have a really nice coat now. Justin's seen it. It's an awesome yes. fucking coat. And so, I can get in the car, and it's really cold, and it won't matter. It's fine. You want to say something? Nobody cares about your coat. Ken. Shut the fuck up. Everyone loves my coat. No. No. <laughs> Let me talk for ten more minutes about how great my coat is. Yes, and then we can actually get back to talking about video games. Shut your whore mouth. The cold reminds me of something I want Justin's opinion on. And this is the oh, holidays. We've, we've just come off of winter break. Yeah. And there are two <clears throat> obvious holidays that happen for most people in these Christmas days. and New Year's. Correct. Now, okay, so the difference between these two holidays is, from aside from the obvious, that, like, they're they both about, holidays. they're both about very different things. And they happen on different dates, and they are different holidays. Right. But... Aside from the obvious, there's an intense difference, I feel, between them. And what and would that be, Ken? The thing is, Christmas, at least for me, feels like a real holiday. But New Year's doesn't. New Year's feels like a very modern American thing. Like, people were not celebrating New... I don't... I don't people may yeah, have Yeah, that's been. the whole reason April Fool's Day exists. What? Yeah, didn't you? Don't you know why April Fool's Day exists? Because originally the year s started on the first of April, and way, way long time ago, when they changed the calendars to have it start on the first of January, there were some people who rejected it and still celebrated every new year on the first of April, and they were the April Fools. Hence the holiday. That is interesting that is but, a very that is a very cut down not detailed version of that story right as far as i understand that is why the holiday exists well okay that that partially explains my feeling on this because christmas it's ancient like ancient germanic pagans celebrated this after sacrificing their firstborn children and shit like yeah christmas obviously yeah you know it's obviously. what you do after you 
Yes. <laughs> but the... Right. Christmas feels ancient. But you know what? So does Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving feels like a real holiday. And that was come up with, like, by rounding 200 years ago. It's weird. Because Thanksgiving is like such an established holiday here in the States. Yeah. By the way, United States, if you didn't know that already from Milwaukee area. Yeah. Um, Everyone knows where Milwaukee is, Justin. You don't need to clarify that. Maybe they don't. So, yeah, Thanksgiving is, in my mind, is a, is a weird holiday. Because it's like, you have the story of the pilgrims and they came over and the Indians taught them, or Native Americans, sorry. No, they they prefer to be called Indians. Are you sure? You know, you can just go with Native Americans, the more that I think about this. No one will be upset with Native Americans. No, then that's why. It's okay, like midget. <laughs> why did you use the upsetting term? Yeah, no, Indian is like midget, because Native American is the one that everyone knows, but when you say midget, or Indian, it's like, okay, some people have some issues with that, but when you say it, there's no ambiguity. Fair enough. At least here in the States. Well, I don't know, with Indian, there's some ambiguity, because there are people from India. Which is on the other side of the world. Right, but you meet people from India in your day-to-day life. And they are Indians. Right. But then there's... Man, Native Americans starting to make more sense. Yeah, doesn't it? That's that's forget, why I'm in forget, favor of it. Forget the midget metaphor. I'm sorry, viewers, listeners. Fuck. Readers. <laughs> Readers. <laughs> who do, who reads anymore? Um, but yeah, Thanksgiving, Christmas, even Fourth of July. Those feel like real holidays to me. Like you're celebrating a real thing. Right. Whereas New Year's. New Year's It feels very modern American, like, oh, watch the ball drop in New York on New Year's. Because it's, everyone likes the idea of a reset. New Year, New Me is is a popular phenomenon, and people post about it on Twitter and shit all the time for that reason. Because people like this idea that they have, like, okay, that year is behind me, I learned my lessons, I made my mistake, this is a fresh new me. In reality, we just tell ourselves that. Days days are just days, and they just go by whenever they want to the whims of the rising and setting of the sun. Well, no, days don't go by whenever they want. Well, that has to do with the rotation of the earth. Yes, but the point I'm trying to make is that that is just a line in the sand that we drew. Right. And maybe we do need it. I mean, I mean, it's important from the standpoint of, like, obviously it's good to know when the seasons are for right. things like food. Or just dates for, like, meetings and shit. That's true. Yeah. Oh, that's that's very much a modern thing. Right. Well, no, not really. You people don't think are. so? No, people... Like, dates have existed for a while. It hasn't been the same calendar that we use now, but people have had dates, and they did use that to plan mm-hmm. shit out. They people used... made plans that lasted longer than the day that they made the plans on, Justin. I know, but then it's like... There used to be 10 months in the year, which is why we have things like October, November, December, which their prefixes prefixes suggest that's 8, 9, and 10, which originally they were. Now, they're not anymore. <laughs> and do you know what the two added ones are and who what they're named July after? July and August. Do you know what they're named For after? Julius and Augusto. Augustus. Augustus. Anyways. Uh, but yeah, 
I don't know. New Year's does not feel like a real holiday to me. It's a reason enough for me to get drunk, so it's a real holiday. I mean, every day is a reason to get drunk. Oh, the sun okay, saw but... fit to rise again. <laughs> okay, but more so than normal. You're so boring. You don't even drink. It's so it's so weird because I was I was at a friend's house for New Year's and it was like we wanted to know when New Year's was happening, like when actual midnight was happening. So we're like, we'll put on like the TV to watch like the ball drop. But it's like we didn't actually watch it. We just watched it for the countdown. And everything that happened before and after that was just... We ate and drank a lot. We made a ton of food. I don't know why. There were only like four of us. See, for mine, I just watched stand-up specials on Netflix with my family. And then five minutes before midnight happened in our time zone, we put on the local broadcast. Well, one person in the family who was particularly interested in it put on the broadcast... No one else cared. And then the moment that it ended, we put, I think it was Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy back on. Eddie Murphy's a real person, right? I didn't make up that name. Right? Yes, I do think Eddie. Eddie Murphy? Is it Eddie Murray? I'm I'm just no, bad stop. with. Stop. Because now I don't know. <laughs> I'm just bad with names. We oh. watched Dave Chappelle and then we watched. Either Eddie Murray or Eddie Murphy. Me and my three buddies after the ball dropped watched Letterkenny for two hours after. That's not bad. And we drank and had a ton of food. Yeah. Um, I played Bravely Default, which I already talked about. Go get it. We're not sponsored. Ken thinks it's a good game. It is a good game. Um, But that's besides the point. Anyways, I think we've discussed enough about whether or not new year's is a real holiday or have we i I don't know i'm i'm waiting for when this starts going back to being a video game podcast shut the fuck up shut the fuck shut fuck you like we initially decided on and what the tag says for this for this this so if you if you intentionally clicked on this episode and you're wondering when are they going to stop talking about holidays? Man, when are they going to start talking about video games again? It says video games right here on the freaking the, the, the description of this podcast I'm listening to. It's tagged right there. When are they going to talk about video games? Why won't Ken shut the fuck up? Why must you wound me so, Justin? Because I'm your co-host, Ken. Anyways. Um, now, obviously, you probably read the title. It says, Justin didn't know Mother Gunship existed until January 11th, 2020. I actually think a, I actually think a good handful or a good most people who watch this might not know what Mother Gunship is because it is kind of a smaller indie game. I, well, maybe not smaller, but an obscure one. I definitely didn't know about it, and I do keep an eye on, on the indie market. Yes. <laughs> Justin recently discovered through a Kindale War fame... Uh, the game Mother Gunship. And all three of you will be pleased to know that it looks awesome. Right, Justin, I want you to talk about what about Mother Gunship has your loins excited. Ken has been playing JRPG since, since as he says, since middle school. So that's kind of, he considers that his uh, genre of specialty. And I very I, much am more... I don't, I don't know how much I like you speaking for me. 
Especially since oh, that's then not I won't correct. say it, Ken. Why must you do this to me? Um, I like JRPGs. I wouldn't say they're my genre of specialty. I'm actually more into strategy games than anything else. Um, oh, yeah, that's that. That may not be better if you're a Justin who is a Adderall fueled nightmare child. Ooh, I love me my first person shooters. I love me my fast paced action games, and I love me some two D fighters every once in a while. I like them too. I actually, I showed you Devil May Cry. You so. did. I knew of its existence beforehand. I have been a long, long, long time fan of the God of War series. I've been playing God of War since I was too young to be playing God of War. Um, Which is most so, people that play God of War. Yeah, but I was introduced to it when I was like eight, and I was hot. It was God of War 2 was my introduction. I didn't go back and play God of War 1 until later. It was God of War 2 that was my introduction. I had an older cousin who had it on his PS2, and I played it, and I must have been like eight. And it was, and I know it's like, well, do you think an eight-year-old should be playing God of War? I think so. I loved it. Um, so, yeah, I've been a long-time God of War fan. I've played all of them in the series, including the new one. So that includes God of War, God of War 2, God of War Chains of Olympus, God of War uh, Ghost of Sparta. Those are two that are on the PSP. Um, God of War 3, God of War Ascension, and the new God of War. And I have played all of them multiple times except the newest one, which was God of War 2018. Um, God of 4. Yeah, God of 4. Um, I've played all of them multiple times except the newest one, and that's because I have a, a lot of opinions regarding new God of War as a longtime fan. Um, and I knew of Devil May Cry's existence, but because I didn't own a PS2 as a kid, um, I never I never really was had the chance to play them. And even though I owned a PS3 later, Devil May Cry 4, for whatever reason, and even I don't know this, for whatever reason, it was just not on my radar as a game to play. Maybe it was just because... As a kid, I was more... Yes, I say as a kid. When I was younger, I was more focused on what everyone else was playing. Played a lot of Call of Duty. The original Black Ops is as eh of, of a game as it is. It had super, super nostalgic for me. I don't know about Ken in that regard. I felt like felt like everyone I knew played Black Ops 1. Uh, I did actually play a lot of Blops 1 at a friend's place. I, in terms of Call of Duty, I played more Modern Warfare 3. Modern Warfare 3, especially the survival mode. I loved survival mode on that on the 360. Um, but yeah, I have played a lot of action games and shooters and all that kind of stuff. Love the original Doom, Doom 2, um, the Devil May Cry mm. franchise in general is great. Be, I'm gonna be, well, I don't know about Ken, I'm going to be talking a lot about old school style boomer shooters. Because oh, that, yeah. is, that is my cup of tea. He a, he a boomer. This old fuck. I'm actually Gen Z, which, depending on your perspective, might be worse. I, I mean, it is. We're both Zoomers. It's it's weird, though, for me, I think, to like what they're called boomer shooters. These old uh, classic-style shooters that came out mainly in the 90s and are seeing a bit of a resurgence now in with stuff like Doom 2016 and a little bit in the indie market with stuff like... With games like Dusk and a Medieval, which we will definitely talk about. Um... But it's weird because it's not, it's not a nostalgia thing. Because I didn't grow up playing those games. I, by the time I got into video games, like actually into video games, and started paying attention to game releases and what was coming out and stuff like that, I, that was beyond, you know, 
I got a PS3 and my friends all got 360s and whatnot and other PS3s. And yeah, I'm technically a Call of Duty kid. I was raised on Black Ops 1 forward. But for whatever reason, well, it's not for whatever reason. I ended up discovering them later, thanks mostly to Doom 2016. And I then I go back and I play those games now and I fucking love them. And I'm like, man, they make them like this? They make shooters like this? Um... So yeah, I don't know. I just find that kind of weird because a lot of the people, a lot of the people I talk to about it, or other YouTubers who talk about these boomer style classic shooters are older, and they're talking about them because of the nostalgia factor. They have they played these games or knew of these games as kids or teens, and now they have review or talk shows on YouTube where they talk about the games. I just find that I'm a, the odd one out in that case. Hmm. Anyways, back to Mother Gunship. Justin. Oh, yes, that's what we're talking about. So, yeah, um, I'm a big, uh, I guess you could say fan of when a shooter has really, really good movement and really, really interesting, well, I guess the enemy design in that game isn't interesting. Everything is just robots and gun turrets and stuff, but the ability to move and, and dodge projectiles and not to take cover is cool. In Mother Gunship, you can use the recoil from your guns to fly if you aim around the room, which is definitely the kind of movement mechanic I'm into. Um, and just it's just guns. And every time you go into the level, it's a roguelite, so you go until you die and then you restart. And every time you restart, you get more upgrades for... You have two hands that you're able to put guns on and you can just stack them on top of each other and it's just freaking... It's crazy. And I, I absolutely want to try it because I didn't hear about it until just recently. And I was like, wow, where was that? I kind of want to give it a go. Yeah, I was personally, I was shocked. I got to have known Justin for years. And I was shocked that he was in no way aware of Senor Mother Gunship. No, but I knew, I knew about stuff like Ion Maiden, A Medieval, Dusk, as I mentioned before. Um... I knew about those, but I guess those are the more high-profile ones, so it makes sense that I would have would have known about those. Mm -hmm. But in terms of games that we like, maybe we should because 2020, woo, start yeah. of a new decade. Um, we do kind of want to talk about some of our favorite games from the past decade. Yeah, and why we think those games were important to us. This is a personal list. This is not an objective list. Um, this is very much just because obviously from, oh my God, in 2010, I didn't have money for video games. Did you? Um, 2010. How old was I then? 2010. That was like middle school. That was 10 years ago. That was 10 years ago. Yeah. We were probably both still in middle school. Yeah, I was 12. I, I didn't have any fucking money for video games. So yeah, the number of video games we were able to play is limited, but we did play some, obviously, mm -hmm. and we have our... Lists that we want to go through. No. We both know how we're going to do this. And we both know that it's going to be very embarrassing for you and very fun for me. Because, of course, he and I are good friends. I'd almost go as far to say best friends. Please say it back, Justin. Um, <laughs> but, but as a result of this... What I want us to do is we both have written down. I'm going to. There's some fully work. Mine, mine's on my phone. I would yeah. shaky shaky, but. Yeah. yeah. 
I did mine on a piece of paper because I'm the real boomer. Um, but yeah, we both have written down five games of the decade, and mm-hmm. these are not in any order. They're not like you know, if I wrote the the one on the top, the one on the top was just the first one I thought of when I was writing them down. They're all about equal in terms mm-hmm. of my personal enjoyment. Mine are about equal too. Yeah. Um. And I do. I obviously have a few things to say about each game, because there is one game on here that I'm very mechanics focused as a gamer. I like it when a game has solid, slick mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to explain why this one game on here seems mechanically bland, but I think is worth playing and important over the course of the last decade. Well, okay. So how we're going to do this, because we're friends, is we will take turns attempting to guess. What of the games on the other man's list? I won't be able to guess any of Ken's games, but no, we'll go no ahead. Um, so, in order to make this slightly easier for Justin, he's going to start by trying to guess one of mine. And I will say, there are two strategy games. Okay. One 2D platformer. One action stealth game, I think is the most accurate way of putting it. And one JRPG. And I will note that we are counting North American releases between January 1st, 2010 and December 21st, 2019. December 31st, sir. December 31st, 2019. Good catch, Justin. Um, He's losing it already, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) that That will be relevant for one of my choices. Uh, but yes, okay. Justin, I will let you... It doesn't, it doesn't give me a hint as to what it is. No. Because I... No. Um, but the two... I have no idea what your fucking platformer is, bro. No idea. I can guess one of the two strategy games, and then I might say it, and you're like, No, Justin, that didn't come out this decade. That came out in 2009. <laughs> um... Civ 5? Question mark. Is, th- is that your final answer? Maybe. That's the first grand strategy game I think of, and that's, like, kind of your thing. Okay. I do believe Civ 5 came out this decade. However, it is not one of the ones that came out this decade that is one of my games of the decade. No. Now, of the two, I'm going to pick the harder one to guess, which is a very recent entry, and Justin knows that I've been playing this. September 21st, 2010. Yeah, so that's the release of Civilization V. That one's in. Um, but that's not one of mine. My game of the decade that I'm gonna talk about first is a recent entry, Fire Emblem Three Houses. That's actually a very recent one. I didn't think that would make it on your list. Yeah, no. I adore Fire Emblem Three Houses. Ever since Fire Emblem Awakening. It is I will say, it, it is quite the game to spectate, especially when, well, maybe not during the combat, but, like, when he's in the sort of character hub area, and you have the choice to watch two characters interact with each other. Oh my god, the dialogue, this game is hysterical. This game is, oh, Jesus. It, it, is, it is really, it is genuinely funny, although I'm not the one playing it, and every time he goes into combat, I'm just like, yeah, I'm gonna go back to whatever it is I was doing. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I love the combat. The combat's great. 
ever since Fire Emblem Awakening, what the Fire Emblem series has done, they've done all of them this decade, but what I love about them is they have these little, almost like visual novel-esque segments that you can do to build up character supports with each other, and then that helps them improve in combat when or how they work together in combat and then the more they work together in combat the more likely you'll get these support dialogues yeah and the head padding mini game that they took out of the fucking american release yeah for uh fire emblem it wasn't fates it was maybe it was fates i don't know fucking but, reggie yeah god damn it mr body is ready um uh early 2010s memes anyways the the thing that I really like about those games, though, the Fire Emblem games that's come, that have come out this decade, is that they do have this almost dual gameplay where half of it is grid-based, JRPG-esque strategy that I really like. And I think it's done very well. The way that they do it is... Um, it's both not very complicated, but still has ways of being difficult that I enjoy, and it's not just the enemy is ten levels higher than you deal with it. It's it's a lot of positioning and thinking a few moves ahead. It's a lot like chess. Um, and the thing that really puts them over the edge for me is the character writing. All of the characters, or at least most of the characters in all the games, are really interesting and even though a lot of them are somewhat one-dimensional, the thing that I like about them is their interactions with each other. That was my problem with the older Fire Emblem games. I played Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon, and it's not a bad game, but there are, it feels like there are no characters in the game. Like, Marth is there, and people may have some idea of what he's like from Smash Brothers, but he's just generally good guy. Marth's character trait is Tipper. Right, like that's it. That's his actual character trait. He gets more character in Smash than from his own games, and he has lines at his own games. Um, but that's that something I find annoying going back to the older games, and I feel like the newest game, not only does it do interesting things with the combat, with how magic works now, because magic isn't an expendable item anymore. Now it's something that a character can learn, and it's only expendable per battle. And so you have 10 uses of fire this battle, as opposed to 10 uses of fire ever, uh, and then you have to buy fire again. Um, I find that more interesting, and I find that... I just enjoy it more. I just think it's great. Um, and the character writing, exquisite... Because it's not the characters themselves. Most of them are relatively one-dimensional. But because of their pretty monolithic character traits, when they interact with each other, it's just really funny or really interesting to hear their interactions. And it really makes me want to keep playing to keep hearing their interactions. And it's also one of the best waifu simulators of the... The past hundred years, I'd argue. Um, At least for Three Houses, from the small character moments that I saw glancing over Kenny's shoulder in, in our shared room. We are roommates, by the way. Um, is, yeah, there is no such thing as subtlety. When he said monolithic character traits, I'm talking we need you need a bus to move these people around. Because 
I mean, it is it is funny to watch them interact because there's no subtlety. Characters have no filter whatsoever when talking to each other. It is hysterical. Um, but yeah, but then it's just characters are like, she's the bitchy one. She's the strong, independent woman. He's the goofy academic sort of thing. And they don't really ever evolve from that, um, which might be good for laughs and maybe you don't want when you care when your characters are also expected to fill specific combat roles that are usually tied somewhat related to what their character traits are in 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 the character moments outside of combat but i don't know about i don't know enough about that kind of writing to 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 dictate that so anyway are we going to move on to what of Justin's games? Yeah, okay. Ken can very easily guess, with the exception of one. I do think there was one that he won't get, but most of the games, so four out of the five games, Ken will be able to know what they are because I am very, as I've said before, I'm very vocal about what it is I like and don't like. He wears his heart on his sleeve, this boy. Yes, when it comes to video games. So, first guess, Ken. Okay, so, if I remember, because we've discussed this before, what the games may be. Um, do you want me to do the genre listing like you did? Of course, of course I do. Okay, so I have two shooters, and I I'm, I will give you the distinction. One of them is a first-person shooter, and one of them is a third-person shooter. So I'll make that distinction. That'll make it easier. Um, first-person shooter, a third-person shooter, a fighting game, so like a 2D, a 2D fighting game. A platformer and a action adventure, I'll say. Okay. So. Sorry, not action adventure. Action RPG. That would be more descriptive. All right. So I know all five. I know what all five of them. You know what all five are. I will. I will tell you the one that you don't think I will get first. Okay. That is the third person shooter. Mm -hmm. You don't think I'll get that one, do you? I haven't talked about it a lot to you. Spec Ops The Line. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's Spec Ops The Line. Um, Spec Ops The Line, even though it's not mechanically interesting from the standpoint, it's it's bog-standard third-person shooting. Um, being as someone who was sort of raised on the Call of Duty machine, it is it was interesting to sit down and play a... I guess, modern warfare style game that actually felt like a war story that actually made you feel like a fucking piece of shit and that nothing you do matters and that the character you control is just this fucked up person. And I don't want to go into spoilers because I'm, I still know a lot of people who haven't played the game. I but, haven't played the game. But man, do you feel like it? like it is just dread. It is almost a horror game. With, with some of the themes that it tackles. Uh, and yeah. It's it's just... And I, and I love it for that reason. Because it in this sort of wave that happened last generation. So the PS3 360 generation of just these brown... Just modern warfare style shooters that are just like so freaking... Gung-ho and crazy shit and that's good for like when you're trying to do the standpoint of like an action movie like an action movie style plot but you go too far with it and it gets almost weird like you enjoy this 
and this is some weird, almost fetishistic desire for tactical gunness military stuff. And, you know, Spec Ops The Line comes out and is like, no, you guys are fucking weird. This is weird. You guys are disturbed. And, yeah, it's got some balls on it. I like it. Well, that's the thing about Spec Ops The Line that I think I understand. Again, I've never played it. but Have you seen Apocalypse Now? Yeah, it's based that off you, of that Heart you've of played Spec Ops the line. <laughs> it's it's based off of Heart of Darkness, which spoiler is something one of my games of the decade is partially based on. Mm. Ooh, woo. Um, it's it's Pokemon Sword and Shield. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that game came real dark at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna talk about Sword and Shield today. Oh, we'll have a whole episode to yell about Sword and Shield when the expansions come out. Absolutely, Justin and I are gonna replay through all of it together, holding dicks. Please, no! Please, no! Okay, please fine. do not make me play a fucking Pokemon game. No, okay, fine. Please, no! You don't have to play any of it. I'll play it, and you'll just watch me. Oh, that's almost just as bad. Okay, but we won't hold dicks. We'll just hold feet. Anyways. Uh, Can I at least order food? Absolutely. Okay, cool. We'll get Panda Express. It'll be great. <gasps> or, or we can get um, wings from a so, certain restaurant that we like. But the thing that I that I understand about um, Spec Ops, that, again, it's like a realistic modern military-esque shooter. And it's different from some other games that are shooters that I know we're going to talk about later, where the <laughs> violence... The violence is a lot more fantastical, and the violence is a lot more obviously less simulation. And a lot better. (laughs) There's less simulacra to the violence. Whereas for modern military shooters, there is more simulacra to the violence. It's a lot more... It's a lot closer to how it exists in the real world. And so the game does point out, like, this isn't... Wolfenstein, this isn't, um, trying to think of a game that isn't the other game we're going to talk about. Uh, it's obvious now. Uh, the, it's, this isn't Rust, or Dusk. Dusk is the one I was thinking of. No, it's not Rust, Ken. But it's different from your average boomer shooter. It's like a COD. It's like a Medal of Honor. It plays closer to some. It plays closer to like Gears. Honestly, it's third person. You have you have a you fucking tape your ass to the to whatever. Right, but I mean, in terms of there. what the violence looks like and acts like, it's, yes, it's like, very it's very military. Yeah, and there is a like you said, there is a fetishization to that that a lot of people enjoy. But a lot of people are also disgusted by and think mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's gross. And a lot of the times, because of how a lot of modern conflicts are, people think that the games are either racist or a bit um, overindulgent in terms of, like, the U.S. is number one and we're awesome and fuck everyone else. It's not, it's not the actual gore and blood and death violence that bothers me. It's the ethics I can't swallow. Right. And that's that's the part that makes Spec Ops the Line interesting. Anyways, now I'd say it's time for you to be back on the gauntlet. 
and for yeah, you to have guessing, to guess. I guess in your next game. So the first one was three houses. Right. Um, so there's, to, to, to jog your memory, there's another strategy game. A 2D platformer, an action stealth game. It's a bad description of it, but it's the best I got. And a JRPG. Oh! It's just, duh. Uh, is one of them Shadow of Mordor? That is correct! Okay, you said stealth action, and you're like, I don't know if that's true. Uh, okay, yeah, Shadow of Mordor. Yeah, Shadow of Mordor. Uh, which is a game I do actually genuinely want to play, even though I haven't seen any of the Lord of the Rings or Hobbit films or read any of the books. I've read The Hobbit and seen all of the Lord of the Rings movies and the first Hobbit movie. They have no bearing on the video game. Which as is far as I understand, part. it's fan fiction. Yeah, it's my favorite part about this game, is that it has nothing to do with the rest of it. But there is... It's it's just... It's like Assassin's Creed got really good. Like, I enjoy some of the earlier Assassin's Creed games. We're Assassin's talk Creed about 2. Yeah, Assassin's Creed 2 is a game that I love that's genuinely. When it, that's when it peaked, which is sad, because it's gone on way well, longer. And the, the, the sequels to 2. I actually kind of like those. But that's, that's a different discussion entirely. Um, but, yeah... Shadow of Mordor, not only does it perfect a lot of the combat and systems that exist in the Assassin's Creed-esque games, so the stealth, the counter-dodge-attack-combo combat, um, but there's also its nemesis system, which for all three of you that don't know what Shadow of Mordor does that is interesting, is you play as a dead man who has a ghost inside of him, that is basically capable of both finding high-level orcs, as in high in the orc chart of the Mordor system. Hierarchy? Yeah, their hierarchy. That's a, that's the word I was looking for. Um, yeah, he's good at finding good people in the hierarchy, or just does find people in the hierarchy. And the main crux of the USP of the game is that you are trying to supplant the people in the hierarchy with people that you have possessed or orcs that you've possessed and make it so that it sort of crumbles their system from within and you can find advantages and disadvantages that each person in this hierarchy has and you can find um, you know, their weaknesses. You can... There's a lot you could do, and it's all very interesting, and I love the living shit out of it. It's great. Uh, if you haven't played it yet, and you're a fucking chud like Justin, then love of Christ, play it. It's probably like 20 bucks on Steam. Uh, the This is one of very few calls to action I will make with my games of the decade. I will make several. Yeah, there's... Let me look at my list. Uh, one more. I'll say <laughs> one more time, you must play this. But yeah, this is this is genuinely, like, it's not like Three Houses where I'm assuming most people listening to this you probably play on PC. Maybe some of you have a Switch. If you have a Switch and you like the Animu, play Three Houses. But literally everyone that is physically capable of playing Shadow of Mordor should play Shadow of Mordor. It's that good. And it's almost important. Because it is sort of the swan song to that style of combat and that style of game. Like, 
this decade especially we've had like the souls like games but people forget earlier in the decade we had a lot of games that were sort of aping the assassin's creed style of gameplay where there was a lot of action and dodge counter combo combat the arkham combat yeah arkham did that too and arkham asylum and arkham city and arkham knight and arkham origins might have i don't know no one cared about that one i uh, i played it that's all i'm willing to say that's all i remember about i'm sorry for your loss anyways the but yeah that's that was something that was really ubiquitous in the first half of the decade and i feel like this game is the best version of it because it both does that really well and also adds something so unique and interesting that it's kind of impossible to look at it and go oh yeah it's just another one you can't it's it is the best of it and then they botched the sequel well what i heard about the sequel is that it's fine uh, yeah after they patched out your ability to buy the loot boxes for orcs did you not did you not i knew about that they they rebalanced the entire game after they took out the microtransaction system which is honestly impressive i kind of like that they They, shouldn't have needed to do it in the first place they wrung all the money out of it they could and they're just like yeah set it back to normal flick the switch off stop them from being grindy and whatnot is uh so you gonna guess me next again oh god man that was a fucking sentence I think I stroked out. I think you shat yourself. I could smell it. <laughs> I'm going to guess. So there's the shooter. There's the shooter. Which we both know what that is. There's the action RPG. We both know what that is. Yep. There's the 2D platformer. We both know what that is. And the 2D fighter. We both know what that Why is. Why are we even playing this game? I have no idea what the rest of yours are, but you know what all of mine are. Yeah, because it's fun. Because I can make you look like a re- uh, but I'm going to go with the one that... Pick one I, and I'll talk about it. I'll pick the one that I have the least to say about, which is the 2D fighter, Killer Instinct. Oh boy, Killer Instinct 2013. Let's talk about a really, really good fucking game. So, Killer Instinct 2013. Um, a bit of backstory about it. I grew up with a few older consoles in the house as a kid. One of them being a Nintendo 64. Now, we didn't have a lot for the Nintendo 64. I specifically remember um, Super Mario 64 and Donkey Kong 64. But a game we did have was a, a little, little little fighter called Killer Instinct Gold. Oh, boy. Uh, that game is... Man, I wish I still, like, had an N64. I might actually go, because there's a bunch of N64 games I want to play now. Like, I haven't played Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, and that's going to get me kicked out of the Cool Kids Club. Um, but yeah, just to have Killer Instinct Gold again, because it was such a big part of the few games I had um, as a really, really young kid. So then Killer Instinct 2013 came out, and because I didn't own an Xbox One, I didn't have a chance to play it until... All three seasons of the all three seasons of content were over, or three and a half seasons rather, and it was released on the Steam Store. And then I played it. Holy shit! This game. Um, the music, first of all, is absolutely phenomenal. It is probably one of the best soundtracks in just video game history. I still listen to it to this day. I, Mick Gordon is amazing, and even the guys they had come in after him to do the season three music just 
oh, it's just awesome music if you're, it's very metal. Now, to ask so. you about the music, Justin. Yes. Is there another game that Mick Gordon worked on that I've heard of? We're going to talk about that game. It's also on the list. Okay, that's that's what I was assuming. Yes. But, and we'll mention that he made the music for that yeah, game. Yeah, because the music in that game is also very important and the reason yeah. why I like it. But, Killer Instinct... In comparison to other fighting games where you play footsie with the guy, stuff like Tekken or Street Fighter, you play footsie with the guy, right? You're moving back and forth. You're trying to find openings, and then, you know, one person hits an opening, and they go through their combo. You, They have, you know, everything is muscle memory, right? Once you get the opening, it's bam, 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 and you create the combo. And the person taking it, well, they just have to take it, and they don't really get an option as to be able to do anything about it. And there are there's some games that try to counteract this. For example, the the more recent Mortal Kombat games have if you have enough meter to burn, you can break out of a combo whenever you want. But it does cost you your ability to perform specials. Um, Killer Instinct doesn't do that though. Rather than having to memorize specific buttons and puts like oh this move links into this move links into this move and that you can't do anything outside of that specific combo structure. Killer Instinct lets you could basically combo anything into anything else. And you may say, whoa, well, that sounds overpowered. You're able to just mash on the face buttons and, and do damage. Yes and no. There, obviously, there are specific move inputs that you have to do to do specials and normal moves. But you can do anything within that combo structure as long as you stay in that pattern. What the difference is, though, is that your opponent is able to break out of anything as long as they can guess whether your next your next punch or kick or whatever is going to be a light a medium or heavy and this is where it gets interesting um because you're able to do anything within a combo structure and the game becomes less about the damage that you get from a single combo or memorizing that specific combo and more about consistently changing up your combo timing and the properties of the moves you use in order to sort of juke them out, keep them guessing. Because if they guess wrong, they're not able to do anything, and then they're really stuck in a combo. And I don't know, it's just that kind of combat is just... Because I've played a lot of fighting games. I've played fighting games before this. Obviously, I mentioned like Street Fighter and Tekken and whatnot. The combo system doesn't work like a lot of traditional fighters because your opponent is able to guess and break out of your the combo you're doing so the game becomes less about memorizing specific combos for specific characters and consistently recreating combos within the pattern that you're able to do to keep your opponent guessing. That's the big overarching thing. And I can go into a ton of different details about how the music is awesome and the announcer just screams his lungs off and everything is hype and the music changes depending on your combo, depending on if you're able to break combos and it goes into different parts of the song and all the characters are super unique and everything is so well animated. It's, uh, uh, it's so good. Killer Instinct is so fucking good. The only question I have for you, Justin, yeah. when it comes to Killer Instincts. Instinct, not in instincts. Ah. Um, is Did you play it online at all? Like with other people? Or uh, a mostly... bit. Okay. But one of the other big point, one of the other big pluses of killer the at least the full release of killer instinct because i got into it obviously with the pc release it was kind of post heyday there were some people online 
but it's it's it was nothing like it was in 2014 with the release of season two when it just essentially just peaked or i guess it also peaked a bit with the release of season three um but i did play online a bit but it also has because of the three seasons a ton of single player content more than you would get in your normal fighting game uh and the hardest difficulty or kyle difficulty as it's known is actually a um it learns your patterns so can it can react to you on the fly sort of like that one boss fight in arkham city yes see we bring things full circle on this show this is why this is why we get paid the big podcasting bucks of zero <sighs> anyway so that i don't go into an entire rant about all of the individual little mechanics of killer instinct because it is certainly the depth of the combat that you're there for the depth of the of the one-on-one fighter that you're there for i will not talk about any further we will move back on to ken's list so that he can talk about a game that he likes yes um all right there are three left strategy the jrpg and um the other one was a platformer yes 2d platform a 2d platformer specifically okay yes. i'm gonna try to guess that one um because I don't know. I don't, okay, so I know that the strategy game is one of your grand strategy games that you like to play, and but I don't know which one. Um, I'm gonna take just a random shot in the dark, and I'm gonna say Crusader Kings Two. Sorry, Justin, but it is not Crusader Kings Two. He wah, knows that wah, I. Wah. He knows that I love my Paradox interactive games. They're awesome. Um, but that isn't the one that I want to talk about. Because that one's a getting a sequel. That one that, that one will continue to oh, exist. Oh, is it, is it the one that is the memed sequel? Yes, it is Victoria 2. See, <laughs> we will I, not be, there will not be Victoria 3 at the show. Victoria 4 confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that post. Yeah. The, but... Before we talk about the meme with Victoria 3, just to just to talk about the Paradox games that I have played very briefly, I've played a U4, which I'm pretty sure went out this decade, and I'm also pretty sure Vicky 2 released this decade, and Crusader Kings 2 released this decade. The things that I like about all of them, Crusader Kings 2 is less of a strategy game and more of like a medieval role-playing game, and... EU4 have a lot of problems with it. It's more about just going to war and taking countries. There's less about it that is interesting than Vicky 2. Now on to Vicky 2. The things that I love about it is that it's a lot more of a simulation style game. It's not like EU4 where it's incredibly video gamey or like Civ 5, where it's insanely video gamey. In Victoria 2, there's a lot of historiosity to it. There's a lot of. I'm not. Is historiosity a word? It's probably not. I'm going to no, keep. I'm just going to roll with it. But I imagine what you're trying to say is that because the game is. Because you are a history buff, listen up, listeners. Ken is a huge history buff, and this will probably come up later. Um, Am I really, though? You're more than me. Yeah, true. You're more than the average person, too. 
Probably. I don't know. We'll discuss that later. But yes, I, I do love me my history shit. Obviously, I play Paradox games, but the thing that I love, like I said, the thing about that I love about Vicky 2 is it's all simulation. So it's not like these weird video gamey stats where it's like, oh, this is your administrative stat, and this is your diplomatic stat, and this is your military stat, and they're just ticking numbers, and that affects what you can research or what ideas you can get, and those buffs almost always at their best are for combat, which or um, they're either for combat or they're for some kind of non-violent expansion or some combination of the two and it's just it's just constant fighting that's how you're supposed to play eu4 whereas with victoria 2 there's a lot more where it's internals you're dealing with what's your internal political and governmental structure what's the economy globally and internally like which almost no one understands people that play the game they don't know how it works i don't know how it works and I love it, but the combat is relatively interesting when it comes to Paradox games, given the different kinds of units you can use, the different kind of tactics you can use. It's all... It's not streamlined in literally any way. It's not as complex as the Hearts of Iron games, which I find unplayable, because there's just too much that it gives you. It's like, figure this out. It's like, I can't. I don't understand it. But Victoria 2, it's just complex and just simulation-y enough that it's fun and interesting. But it's not so complex and simulation-y that it's overwhelming and I can't understand it. It's it's in the perfect spot for me. I, I genuinely love it. It's great. I'm, now, this isn't a game where it's a call-to-action game. 99% of people will bore the living tits off of Yeah, as someone who has had to watch him play it or has glanced over him playing it, it is not... It is definitely a very specific itch that this game scratches. And as you could probably tell by my long silence during this whole thing, my opinions on it are nothing. Because I don't have any. Because it's just never the kind of game I would touch. Yeah. Um, now, two things about Vicky 2 before we move on. Uh, one, this is the game on my list that is involved with Heart of Darkness, because there's an expansion called Heart of Darkness, which I just think is interesting. It's a way to tie our lists together. Okay. Don't give me that fucking look, Justin. Fuck you. Drink okay. me. Okay, I don't... Continue. Maybe my question will be answered by you talking more. Anyway. Uh, and then the second thing is the meme... With Victoria 2. The intense, really funny meme. I genuinely love it. It's great. I mean, I don't love it because of what it's for, but I love the jokes. And it's that Victoria 2 came out in like 2010. Yes, I just looked up the date. Yeah, to make sure that I was right, that it, that it did come out like in this August. decade. Yeah. So it, it's safe. But it, unlike all of the other Paradox games, I only got two expansions. And they were good expansions. I think one of them added crises. The other um, further... It did more things with the Scramble for Africa. 
But it only got two. It's not like the 10 or 20 that EU4 or Hoi4 or CK2 got. And they both released later, I'm pretty sure. And so Vicky2 has gone unsupported for a very long time by Paradox. And it's gotten to the point where a lot of people, myself especially included, want a sequel to Victoria 2. We want Vicky3. We want updated graphics. We also want more systems. We want, I want more things to interact between the systems in the game. I want internal politics and international politics to have more to do with each other. I find it weird that late game, especially with mods that you have to play if you want updated Victoria 2, because Paradox isn't updating it. But with mods or even base game, I find it weird that fascist and communist dictatorships are very frequently allied with each other or democracies and fascist dictatorships ally with each other. It's all very strange. And I feel like that should have more to do with the game at large or that fascist or communist countries or just countries with radical ideologies should be like, more aggro towards their neighbors or should want to spread their ideology to other countries. I don't know. Maybe it does, but it's so light that I've never noticed it. I don't know. Um, but I think that it does need more complexity now. It's gone long enough without support. Meanwhile, CK2 released later. And again, it's a very different kind of game. That one's more of a role-playing game almost. But that one's getting a sequel soon. Soon-ish, at least. I don't know that much about it because they haven't released that much information. But that one's getting a sequel relatively soon. Victoria 3 has not been announced. And every time Paradox says they're about to announce something, they have to make it clear they are not announcing Victoria 3. Because... A lot, a lot, a lot of people want a Victoria 3. And they, I don't know if they're just not making it or if they're making it but they want to keep it very quiet or what the plan is or if there is a plan. I don't know. But the, the my favorite iteration of this meme is they announced two games. I think one of them was Rome Imperator and I forget the other one. But... They announced two games. Someone in Paradox said, we're releasing two games, or we're announcing two games, and neither of them are Victoria 3. And someone just commented, Victoria 4 and Victoria 5 confirmed. And that is probably my favorite comment on all of the internet. I love it. It's better than the Half-Life 3 memes. That's all I could say about it. Which, I guess Half-Life has gotten a sequel uh, recently. Half-Life 3... Well, no, it's gotten Half-Life Alex. Yeah, which is going to happen, which I feel really, really bad for Valve because not only does it have to not only does it have to function fine on the very still sort of new uh, VR tech and play well for what is essentially a shooter in VR, it also has to live up to the expectation of being a Half-Life game. So good luck, guys. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to turn out. Do you have any more words to say about not about the games you're currently talking about because again it's my my interaction with them is limited to what kenny me looking over kenny's shoulder to see what he's playing occasionally and That's then it. stroking out from the lack of 
3D movie. Anything happening. <laughs> you racist. <laughs> All right. Uh, next game, which is from my list. So my list has consisted so far of Spec Ops The Line and the 2013 remake of Killer Instinct. And so now there's just the JRPG. N- no. <laughs> no. Never. Absolutely not. <laughs> the RPG. The first-person shooter, and the 2D platformer. Now, I'm going to correct you, because I know what your RPG is, and I will say it is a JRPG, because it is Bloodborne. Yes, it is Bloodborne. And Bloodborne Um, is made by From Software. Which is a Japanese company. Now, here's the thing I need to preface about Bloodborne, because I know that there are people out there who will get in the hoopla if I don't state this. All of the Souls games, yes, even Dark Souls 2, I think, all of the Souls games are amazing. All of the Souls games are absolutely awesome and totally worth playing. Bold and divisive statement there, Justin. Bloodborne is easily the best, in my opinion. Now, I, what I want to ask, and I think I might th- make your discussion of Bloodborne a bit more interesting, because right. I've only played Dark Souls in like the first half of it. And I really mm. enjoyed it, but I only played the first half of it. The best half. Right. <laughs> but... I guess what I want to ask you is, you've played both of them. You've played Bloodborne and Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. Um, have you played any of the other uh, Dark Souls games? Uh, Dark Souls 3 and a, uh, not too much of Dark Souls 2. Okay. So what I want to know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure some of the people listening, I hope, understand <laughs> what either of these game series are. Mm-hmm. Uh, or have at least heard of them at some point if in you if, if you if you are active in the gaming scene if you haven't heard of the soul series i don't know where you've been because there was a point in time a few years ago when everything was being compared to dark souls yeah crash bandicoot cuphead anyways the the thing i want to ask you i guess is so you prefer bloodborne to dark souls immensely yes. so what makes we had to sell this decision to someone this Mm -hmm. life decision to someone what makes bloodborne that much better than dark souls so for me personally i like bloodborne more than dark souls because with bloodborne they completely got rid of the idea of standard defense and the combat was made way faster and way more dodgy swishy swishy and i just really 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 enjoy that and also with the whole gun mechanic of parrying, it is just so cool. I just think I just think it's for for as because the combat in Souls games is very simple. You have a heavy you have a heavy attack and a light attack, and it's just you know you mash R one, swing, swing, swing. You know the, everyone knows a Dark Souls meme, mash you know just R one to win. For what they could do with that, I guess you could say limited style of combat. There, I do think that Bloodborne is the best execution of it. It is just so much. Dark Souls is a game about holding your ground, and Bloodborne is a game about exploiting openings in your opponent. And I, I just feel that I'm much more receptive to exploiting openings and using my movement as both offense and defense rather than being more defensive or tanky and i'm not saying that that's the only way to play dark souls you obviously can't play dark souls run around with no clothes on and his y hander and just if you're really good at the game yeah you can just do that but 
it's just Dark Souls is more, you know, the knights in armor and you have a shield and blocking stakes stamina and that whole style of management thing is Dark Souls sort of emphasizes that a bit more. Whereas Bloodborne is just like, no, get in there, be vicious, swing your shit around uh, and, just, and just cut them up. I also just like the aesthetic of Bloodborne more and I know Ken has made fun of me for this in the past. I just like the whole gothic Victoria setting more than I like the medieval setting. Because I'm a fucking emo goth bitch who just is just, I don't know. I just, I just like it more. Even though it might be generic in some cases. Very Bram Stoker's Dracula. Very cathedrals and gothic architecture. I just like it. I just think it's cool. I also like the fact that there is less weapon variety. Now that sounds weird. That sounds weird to say I like a game with less weapons. I've explained to you for this. In Dark Souls you have... Obviously, all the different types of swords and spears and, and whatnot that you can have. But a sword, you know, a one-handed sword, a sword is a sword is a sword is a sword. And a lot of them, a lot of the specialty ones do have unique movesets. But a lot of the time, it's you swing your sword, right? And that's, and that's kind of... Or if you have a spear, you poke your spear or your halberd or whatever, and that's kind of it. Bloodborne, because there are less weapons in it, every single weapon is unique even the weapons that are kind of similar like the saw like the saw cleaver and the saw spear even those have unique move sets i find that a lot more interesting than having just 10 different types of swords that all swing the same way oh this one just does more damage and this one you can upgrade this way it's like no i want to have one weapon that i progressively understand more about the spacing and the properties of its moves and and what it can do to specific types of enemies because bloodborne also has they have two modes that they can be in. Usually it's a short-range mode and a long-range mode, but there are plenty of unique, interesting weapons that change up that formula. And I just find that way... I just find that way cooler. I just think that's... Oh, dude, the weapons are so crazy. You have a fucking giant pizza cutter saw thing on the end of a mace. You have... Obviously everyone's seen from the trailers the, the saw cleaver that flicks out into the long-range mode and flicks back in to the to the short range mode you have stuff from the dlc like the beast cutter which is this giant club that unchains itself and it's now spiked rocks on a string that you whip around it is just crazy bonkers nonsense and i love it and combine that with the victorian setting is cool too now i do i can't bitch about bloodborne in comparison to the other souls games for things that it does worse Mainly, A, it's not as long. If you just go through the main game, it's not it's not quite as expansive as a as any of the Souls games would be. And of course, the Chalice Dungeons. The randomized dungeons that you can go into at pretty much any point in the game. And you can grind for better upgrade materials and stuff like that. They are awful. They're absolutely awful, and they should have taken the development time to make the main world bigger and the main game longer than having the randomized dungeons, in my opinion. Yeah, that's pretty much all I want to say about Bloodborne, because I feel like anyone who has played a Souls game understands why Souls games are good. And I was just like, I like Bloodborne the best, because this. And I can understand why other people would be more, um, would be turned off by Bloodborne and are are better off with dark souls and again all these games are great bloodborne is just my favorite
All right, anything Kenny has to say about the Souls games or Bloodborne? Actually, I do. Uh, I have a question for you, specifically. If Bloodborne, if I snap my fingers and Bloodborne ceased to exist, Mm -hmm. would a Dark Souls game have made it on the list? Yes, it would have been Dark Souls 1. All right, That's, that's good. In my opinion, Bloodborne is the best, Dark Souls 1 beneath it, Dark Souls 3 beneath that, and then Dark Souls 2 beneath that. That's my opinion. All right. That's that's pretty fair, I'd say. That's the no-spin zone on Justin Rillo Biley. Sekiro is a whole nother kettle of fish, but we'll get to that later. Have you played Sekiro? Uh, most of it. I still need to sit down and finish my way through it. Is that a PS4 exclusive? No. I have it on PC. Ah, neat. There are some similarities to the Souls. How the world and the enemies and bonfires work is similar, but... It is much more. It is much less focused on the character building element and more on the combat, which is a good and a bad thing. And I will, I would like to discuss it more when I've actually sat down and finished it. Groovy, good stuff. All right, now I believe it is your turn. Okay, and I have no idea what the platformer and the what was the other one? JRPG. JRPG. Okay. JRPG, I have no idea, because you said this whole thing of like, oh, well, we're going off of American releases. That doesn't help me. <laughs> that doesn't help me. <sighs> Is it? No. You said you were an apologist for this game. But it can't be that. It can't be that game. Is it that game, Ken? You're going to have a lot to explain to our listeners. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> The thing is, I'm not going to tell you for the drama whether or not you're right. Um, because, I mean, if you speak its name, they will come. But I. I don't know. I'll let you make your guess. You can't stew it in any longer, bro. I just. I don't know. I don't know. Because, of course, in my mind, it's just like, oh, yeah, Final Fantasy. But no, I also know that it's like. Well, the Persona games exist, and there are some other JRPGs I know that have released that I don't know the names of because I don't care that have certainly released this decade video games. I don't know. I guess I could try to guess the 2D platformer. All right. It's not Rogue Legacy, is it? Is that your guess? I'm trying to think of games I've seen you play. Then again, you might have not played it by the time we knew each other. You might have played it by the time we knew each other. I just haven't seen it. Mayhaps. Ah... The only thing I've ever, the only 2D game I've ever seen you play pretty consistently is, yeah, Rogue Legacy. So, is it Rogue Legacy? Yes. Really? Legacy. Okay, yeah. cool. What do you have to say about Rogue Legacy, Ken? I actually didn't think that was it. I thought it was, I thought you were going to pull something out of your ass and be like, no, I actually think this is better. And you make me fucking stew on Rogue Legacy for however long it took us to record this. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's Rogue Legacy. Um, I really like the Metroidvania style of video game. Um, or just now people call it the Souls-like. I don't fucking know it. Souls-like is Metroidvania. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. Let's not joke ourselves here. It's definitely the same thing. Anyways, I really like the Metroidvania um, genre. I really like some of the GBA Castlevania games. And even some of the Metroid games. I like Metroid less. The Metroid's still great. And I, I don't know if I'd say I like the roguelite genre i i i appreciate it i think it has a lot of interesting ideas i think it's a bit oversaturated especially now but i'd say of the roguelites rogue legacy 
it has a really good gameplay loop of the exploration e and fun castlevania style 2d combat and also the way that it does its roguelite mechanics in that you kill monsters inside the dungeon you get money from that and then when you die the money carries over to your next character and you can use that to buy upgrades level up and do other things and then when you go back in some portion of your money gets taken away from you and so it's not like you're running in trying to die every time so that you can level up later you're still incentivized to do well so that's my big problem with ftl ftl was another one i was thinking of doing um and my problem with ftl is that there's really no incentive to do good because there's there's very little sequential improvement that happens every time you die there's just a chance you'll get a new ship or a chance you'll get a new layout and that's less interesting to me whereas how rogue legacy does it there's more for you to progressively chew on and there's more it's just a more fun gameplay loop in general in terms of roguelike roguelites and metroidvanias you mentioned ftl and it's funny because i on a moment-to-moment basis i actually enjoy ftl more than rogue legacy which might sound weird coming from me because ftl can almost be played as a because you have the ability to pause it's almost like a pseudo turn-based thing yeah but i i enjoyed ftl more than i liked rogue legacy rogue legacy never really stuck with me it just i feel like for for metroidvania style games for me, I feel like I get attached to them more when the the locations I felt are sort of handcrafted places that the designer meant for you to move through. Symphony of the Night is a good example. Guacamelee, if anybody's played that, is also, oh my god, phenomenal example. Guacamelee is amazing. No, Justin, no one's played Guacamelee. Guacamelee is really good, though. It's a very small game. No one's ever heard of it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Rogue Legacy just didn't. Eh, it didn't stick with me. I could see how I could see why it was super popular when it came out, though, and it is sort of the not the not the first game in the big wave of roguelites, but one of the main top dogs of the pyramid. You know, the pimp daddies that get paid at the end of the night. The the two big ones I think of are Rogue Legacy and Binding of Isaac. Yeah, I if I had to put together a pantheon of the roguelite, I would say Binding of Isaac, um, Rogue Legacy, and FTL. I'd mm-hmm. say those are the biggest ones. I like FTL the most out of the three of those, mainly because I feel like um, I'm making more decisions moment to moment in FTL than I am in Rogue Legacy or Binding of Isaac. Binding of Isaac is easily the simplest out of all of them. It's easily my least favorite. I can mm-hmm. definitely say that. I don't know if I'd say it's the simplest. I'd say Binding of Isaac has a similar problem to FTL where there's no guarantee that the next time you go in, it will be better. Like, there's, there's no defined sequential improvement. There's just the possibility of every time you, you go in, it could be better or You worse. improve, in my eyes, the way I see it is I understand why you like Rogue Legacy for the fact that every time you go in and get money, when you come back out as your next character, you have the chance to buy something that objectively makes you better. And I get that. But for Binding of Isaac and for FTL... I feel like the the core of coming back is not that every time you come back to life you have some a new ability that you're able to use for the next run. It's that 
You're binding of Isaac, you progressively just, like any bullet hell, you just progressively get better at being able to navigate and move around a combat arena. In the same way someone would play uh, Toho or Ikaruga, you just get better through playing. You just become a better player. And FTL in the same way, although not reflexively or not reflexively or uh, testing your skills for input, but FTL more as you understand the kind of strategy you need to employ for this kind of ship combat. Hmm. And as you as you start to build up your your how to approach combat for different strategies, what different types of ships you face, that is you progressing as a as a that is you progressing as a player, as you understanding the mechanics the game is presenting you, and not just the game saying, You are better now, go get it. Which is also one of the reasons why I enjoy fighting games so much. Because you can sit down and put on something like Killer Instinct or Street Fighter 4 or the new was Mortal Kombat X. And when you pull up a character and you get in a match, everything you are able to do with that character is already possible. You just have to figure out how to do it and you got to be good at it. And I like that a bit more. I mean, I, I'm a big JRPG guy, as you may have gleaned by now. <laughs> but I understand and actually really appreciate what you're saying when you mean like you know you are capable of doing anything that you can do right from the start but i also like the ability the idea that i like the idea that everything comes out and that everything expands and you're capable of doing more the more you play and you're capable of like getting more abilities or items mm -hmm. you could switch out and spec and things and make it different. And you could argue that you do similar things in games like KI. And where... there, and there are definitely games that do both. Look at the Devil May Cry series. What you spend your points on is new moves. And while you, uh, while you're, and while Dante or whatever character you're playing in that particular game, while they are immediately able to do that new move, it is up to you to figure out how to work it into your current combo structure. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, I think that. I don't know. I've spoken my piece on the issue. Cool. I love Rogue Legacy. It's great. Good game. Solid game. Guacamelee is better. Uh... <laughs> Fucking drink me. I still need to play Guacamelee. Alright, I have... Two more. Two games left. Yep. And one of them is the platformer and one of them is the first person shooter. So, one of them... I know what they both are. Do, I just want to... Do, 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 do. I wonder if that's copyright strikeable. I'm so sorry. Cut this. <laughs> Delete this. But the um, I since we just talked about a 2D platformer, I'll talk about your 2D platformer, Doom 2016. Yes. <laughs> oh, that is absolute 2D platformer. So yeah, Doom 2016 is the catalyst for why I like that style of first-person shooter. Before Doom 2016, I had never played that style of shooter before. I have been a pretty much on stuff like Halo and Call of Duty in the Battlefield series. And, it, and it's weird because I play those games, and even back when I enjoyed them uh, back as a teenager, they were especially fun with friends. I basically, I basically viewed Call of uh, Black Ops 1 and 2 to me, they were basically party games. I never played them by myself, and I never took them super seriously either. 
But it's just, you know, as those, you know, I've played Battlefield 3 and I play a little bit of Battlefield 4 and I played the Halo games occasionally. I didn't, I never owned a 360, so I only ever played them at friend's house. But it's just like, okay, sh- first person shooter is cool and this, you know, this is a really cool concept, but I always felt like those games were just scratching the surface. I always felt like Halo got the closest. I, Halo 3, in my opinion, is still the best Halo. It just it just scratches the surface of what you're able to do with the concept of a first-person shooter. And then Doom 2016 comes out, and I see this fucking thing. And they show off gameplay in the 1E3 trailer, and then I, and it's like, whoa, what is this? I've never seen anything like this before. And then I sat down, and I got it on release day. I originally had it on PS4. I didn't own a gaming PC at the time. And the only reason I didn't completely sit and play it in one set in one sitting was because i eventually had to go to sleep to get up for school the next day oh my god my eyes were opened doing 2016 was my awakening moment and it also just helps that it's really fucking good mick gordon does the music again he's awesome and man just the whole concept of movement as a defense being able to dodge out of the way of you know they throw fireballs and projectiles at you and you have to prioritize enemies because rather than just generic dudes with guns that pop in and out of cover and you all tackle them the same way it's all oh, the imp moves like this and the hell knight jumps at you and O'Barons oh, are big you know big tank things and the mancubi moves slow and they have the giant things that can really take it you just have to approach combat so differently and it's amazing and i love it and I can sit and play it till the heat death of the universe, if you let me. I won't let you. <laughs> you have to pee eventually. <laughs> but I, if, if you don't hear me talking much about Doom 2016, it's not because I think it's bad. It's because I haven't played it yet. Because my computer's a potato. And I need to upgrade mm-hmm. it to be able... Well, I could probably play it, just not at very high res. Anyways, the thing I want to ask, because in talking about it, you said that was the first shooter of that style you'd ever played. Are you saying you never played the original Dooms before then? Nope. I didn't play the original Dooms until after Doom 2016. That is genuinely shocking to me. I played the original Dooms the moment I assembled my first computer. I I built my, my first gaming PC to play Doom 2016 on something better than my PS4. Huh. That's, that's actually... That's cool. I don't know why... Does that okay? My I guess my next question would be: Does that paint how you see the two original Doom games in a more or less positive light? I'd say it paints them in a more positive light because it's like, oh man, I'm going back to the classics, and it's just like, yeah, no, I didn't, gr- I didn't grow up on those older shooters that you know, Doom and Quake and Unreal and the build engine games, Duke Nukem and Shadow Warrior and Blood. Those weren't. Ga- I don't have a nostalgia attachment to them. I found out about them through a game that took inspiration from them, and then went back to them and went, "Man, where the fuck have these been?" <laughs> so yeah, and it's it's it does feel kind of weird because a lot of the people I do, I mentioned this a bit before, uh, a lot of the people I talk to who like these classic style of shooter, they like them because when they were younger. They grew up playing them, whereas I didn't. I went back to them because shooters at the shooters I was playing at the time before the release of Doom 2016 weren't. It's so weird. You don't know what you want until you have it. I didn't know I wanted Doom 2016 until I saw that first gameplay reveal, 
back at E3 of, what was it, 2015 or something. That, I didn't, I never even considered that shooters could play like this. I never even considered that this was a possibility for them to, to have movement as a mechanic and no reloading and varying enemy types and stuff like that. It never even occurred to me. And now that I have it and I've played it, I can't fucking get enough of it. Are you excited for the new one? Absolutely. I'm a little worried because Doom 2016's multiplayer existed. And I am worried about they showed off the new sort of battle mode where one player controls the Doom guy and the other two control demons and they have abilities and cooldowns and the Doom and they got to fight him. Like, you're overthinking it. You're overthinking it. One of my honorable mentions for Game of the Decade is Quake Champions. And it's not on the list because Quake Champions... Has a lot of issues, but that is definitely the style of multiplayer. It's just like, they overthink themselves. Let's have 100 players. No, let's have five weaker players fight one stronger player. You know, the Evolve style format. Just, Deathmatch is fine. Just polish it to a mirror shine and make it slick as hell. I would assume that it would be a different experience from playing Doom 2016 going back to the OG Doom. Yes. In a different way than it is from playing Super Mario Odyssey and going back to play Super Mario World. They're both really good games, but they're good games in different ways for different reasons. Whereas I feel like Doom 2016 is trying to be the same exact kind of game that the original Doom is, and that makes it that makes the original worse. In a way, yes. Because it's not about recreating the exact same game you made 20 years ago. It's about asking, what made that game good? What do people who have a nostalgic attachment to that game remember about it that they liked? And what elements can we bring into... What design philosophies can we bring into the modern day? And what stuff needs to be updated? For example, both the original Dooms and Doom 2016 don't have reloading. The original Dooms didn't have reloading because they just didn't have the tech for it in the engine. Just Doom, the original Doom engine without mods, without modern modding tools, you don't, back when it was released in 93, reloading wasn't like a thing. There was just wasn't, you couldn't code it. It was too complicated to code to have a magazine separated from your ammo count, right? It's the whole reason also why Wolfenstein, the original Wolfenstein 3Ds, all of your guns, your pistol, your machine gun, and your chain gun all use the same ammo pool. And the advancement of that was rather than reloading, the different ammo pools we see in Doom. Bullets, shells, plasma, and rockets. In Doom 2016, while we obviously have the ability to have guns reload in games, as we see in almost every, every first-person shooter, almost every modern first-person shooter that comes out, reloading is a mechanic. Doom 2016 doesn't have it because it doesn't make sense within the context of the kind of combat they're going for. It's not, a, it's not a technological restriction. It was inspired by one, but they changed the combat and the way the enemies move to now emphasize the fact that this is not a game where you're supposed to stop shooting. This is a game where you're not supposed to worry about... Well, I'd say not. it's not that you're not supposed to worry about your ammo count. You are supposed to worry about your ammo count because managing your different ammo pools is important. But there is no pause in your in your combat loop mm -hmm. because reloading requires you to stop and go through the animation before you're able to to engage in combat again whereas doom is about constantly being engaged in combat because that's how 
arenas and enemies are designed to hound you on all sides. Hmm. There you go. All right. That's all I had to ask about that. Okay. Now, you must guess my final game of the decade. The JRPG. Which, what will make you feel stupid when I say it? Probably. It probably will. Because you know it. I know it. And you know that I've played it. Well, obviously you've played it. It's on the list. Yeah, but you know that I have played the game. Oh, is it uh, Persona 3? Very wrong. Persona 3 came out in the 2000s. Oh, it did? Shit. Yeah, as did Persona 4. Wait, oh no, my time... They both released on the PS2. My time scale for that is all fucked up. Yeah, wow. I'm, I that Persona's good though. Persona's great. Even for somebody who doesn't who doesn't normally like or play JRPGs, Persona's good. Persona's great. Uh, definitely didn't release this decade. No. Do you want me to give you a mulligan on that once so you can guess again? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know if I deserve it. That was <laughs> that was so out that I feel like you need the helping hand here. Well, you that's just like, I don't I don't know. Maybe it's just because I like Persona. I blurted it out. Um. <laughs> I, I honestly have no idea. I honestly have no sticking point as to what possibly it's able to... You're, you're giving me the look of disappointment here. I, I am disappointed. If that's your final answer. The final I, answer is disappointment, yes. Yeah. Uh, not my game of the decade. Gonna be real with you. My JRPG of the decade is Pokemon Soul Silver. I, okay, I felt like that was too easy. <laughs> I felt like that was way too easy. I felt like I was going to say Soul Silver, and you're going to be like, "No, Justin, you fucking get." Damn it! I should have went with my initial. Yeah, your gut. gut feeling was right on that one. I am. I have a heavy aversion to the Pokemon games. Um, I'm not a big Pokemon fan. I was never really raised on Pokemon. I was never part of the Pokemon craze. But I understand that Pokemon is a massive massive series and ken wants to talk about his personal favorite entry now i'm only going to talk about it for about three hours i'm not gonna i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna give my full dissertation <laughs> on it. uh ken could write a 50 page paper on soul silver I, I have for his for his thesis i have that's what i got my master's with <laughs> but all i'll really say about it is that of the Pokemon games that exist, Pokemon, just as a core concept and the gameplay and what the games are about, it's a strong series. It works. Even if you don't particularly like it, it's still an enjoyable and great game. But I think the best one would have to be Soul Silver because it just has a lot of fucking game on its bones. There's a lot of meat there. There's a lot of meat. Lots of hamburgers you can make with that meat. It's thick, okay? It's lovely and I love it. It's got 16 badges. It has two whole regions. It's even got the Battle Frontier. It's the last game in the series with the Battle Frontier, which is a series of challenges for the post-game. No other game since then has done it. And all of the games afterwards have really left me cold because I really want the Battle Frontier to come back and it just doesn't. It's just not there anymore. Um, and I think this is also the point right before Pokemon went from being games about an adventure and games about 
you're a rugged 10-year-old going out for an adventure and learning new things and having a great time to you and 10 of your best friends from your new neighborhood are just sort of farting around the country while adults are supervising. It's all of the new games, especially X and Y and goddamn Sword and Shield, they're all like the original Pokemon games, except there's adult supervision and a lot of a lot less wanton murder actually i kind of wish that there was more <laughs> weird violence in the games as there were in the previous games like people get hurt like people get hurt in ways where it's like oh that can't be good lance hits someone with a hyper beam because he was vaguely in the way in pokemon silver gold and the remakes and I'm just shocked that it even happens. It's genuinely, it's great. I love that it happens. <laughs> but no other game since then in the Pokemon franchise really like just does weird one-off like acts of violence. Like, oh yeah, that's just how it really works in this world. And how it probably would work in the world. Even the good guys do things. It's like, oh, that's not entirely noble or righteous or good but i but i like that I'm not saying the pokemon isn't like a master class in moral ambiguity it's no spec ops line jesus christ that's honestly all i have to say about it it's it's really good it's the best pokemon game hands down and also i said earlier that there were two games that say call to action you must play it the first one was shadow of mordor the second one i've already talked about rogue legacy Definitely play oh, yeah, it if you, you have the physical ability to play you it. You mentioned this back when we talked about Rogue Legacy. It was one of your call to action games. Yeah. I, I forgot to mention that. Anyways, uh, the last game, Justin's third-person yep. shooter, the, uh, the Last of Us. <laughs> no. His favorite game of all time. No, uh, no. it's Rayman it's, Legends. Uh, yeah, Rayman Legends. So both Rayman Origins and Rayman Legends came out, I believe, in this time period. I won't fact check you. I don't. I know Rayman Origins was 2010. I, Jesus, I hope so. Yeah, the Rayman games, the two most recent Rayman games, because they basically are the same game. There isn't a lot that changes from game to game. That's my last slot for games of the decade, and that's... Man, Rayman just blows everything else out of the water in terms of 2D platforming. Because while Mario has definitely taken off in 3D with stuff like, like I really like the Super Mario Galaxy games and also Mario Odyssey recently, while Mario has dominated 3D, I felt like he hasn't been the king of 2D for a while. He hasn't really had a decent, solid 2D traditional platformer for a while. And of course... Sonic has had more 2D traditional platformers. And while Sonic Mania was good and definitely rekindled my nostalgia for Sonic 2 on the Genesis, which the Sega Genesis was one of the other consoles I owned as a kid, and Sonic 2 was a game I played a lot, I do have a lot of nostalgia for the older Sonic games. Rayman is just good Sonic. It's just Sonic but done well. With, with the elements that you expect from something like Super Mario World. It is... It is the peak in my opinion of of both styles of 2d platformer more precision focused jumping that you've seen something like mario and being able to speed through the level and there's no loop de loops in rayman but the whole idea of being able to run through the level as fast as possible because ooh, them controls are fucking tight as hell and it feels amazing to play and the animation 
Rayman Origins was all beautifully hand animated in this Looney Tunes style artistic look, and it just bursts with character. And Rayman Legends is no different, even though it, the graphics are, are a bit shinier on it. It doesn't look as hand drawn, but it's obviously still in that like Looney Tunes style. They just burst with, like I said, with the character and with personality, and they're just a blast to play. And controls are tight, and everything animates so gorgeously. And if you get it on Steam, they will run a fucking toaster. Can, so that means I should. You get can it. play these games pretty much on anything. They are not demanding at all. The one downside is that for at least for Rayman Legends, you do have to have a UPlay account. I don't think I have that virus installed on my computer um, yet. That is the one downside to it, but if you can get past that hurdle, or maybe just stick with Origins because Origins doesn't require you to have a UPlay account. At least I don't think last time I checked. They're both phenomenal. And I haven't played a 2D platformer yet that even comes close to what they're able to do. I have no questions, comments, or concerns to do with Justin's last entry for Game of the Decade. Everybody, my call my call to action games are Doom, Bloodborne, and Killer Instinct. Those are the three I say that not Rayman? are absent. Huh? Not, not Rayman? No, not Rayman and not Spec Ops. <laughs> See, Those I could three make a games good case. <laughs> I could for your games, even though I've played literally none of them. Uh, I could make a good case for all of them except for Killer Instinct. Killer Instinct is fucking awesome. Although I can see why some people are pushed away from fighting games in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, in my opinion, it's less of like a I'm pushed away from 2D fighters, and more that. The other ones are important or so, in some way. Mm -hmm. Whereas Killer isn't. It really isn't, no. You don't think so? No. It does not have the lasting cultural impact. It is the other so four. fucking awesome, though. It is so fucking good. And so is Doom. And so is Bloodborne. And it's... Rayman didn't... I would say Rayman left an impact either. Spec Ops The Line definitely didn't. Whereas... Spec Ops The Line totally left an impact. You think so? Oh, yeah. Because I didn't see, I on didn't gamers. see. Gamers, I don't know if I did on the oh, industry. Oh, on the industry. Okay, yeah. we're talking from gamers' perspective, not yeah. industry perspective. Then yes, Rayman and Spec Ops definitely left Mars. Because yeah. I know, other than myself, that there are people out there who are like, "Where is Rayman three? Mm -hmm. Where is the next Rayman game? What the fuck is this Rabbids versus Mario Kingdom battle shit? Why would you tease us, Ubisoft?" So we only picked five the decade mm -hmm. because if we did game of the year i played like three games this year and one of them was pokemon sword <laughs> yeah and, no can't uh can't comment on that and i i think i actually don't think any of the games i played this year were released this year i think actually all the games i played this year are games that i have had on the back burner that i just caught up on because mm -hmm. other other than the the big two that being three houses and pokemon sword nothing that interesting to me came out Doom Eternal was supposed to come out in November. And then it didn't. And then it didn't. Which, fine. You want to think... push it back to March? That, no, it's it, it's a good. It's a good It's a good thing that they delayed the game. Cause it as... makes you less happy. And that makes me happy. As was once said, a delayed game is eventually good, but a rushed game is bad forever. Well, it can exactly be bad forever, but No Man's Sky has proved that incorrect. 
But anyways, we've talked a lot about our five of the decade. I don't want to say top five, but top five. And there aren't they aren't ranked. No, but there are five of them. Mm-hmm. They're the top ones we've played, so they are the top five. They are. Anyway, there are other games we played this decade. Believe it or not. Absolutely, even just this year. And I think I want us to discuss a few that. Maybe not our favorite, or the ones that we enjoyed the most, but the ones that maybe we find the most relevant, or most interesting, or the fucking worst that we played. So that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> ooh, I love, I love playing bad games. Uh, it is genuinely it is fun. When you find a bad game that is just, ugh, you get it, you get, you get some liquor, and you fucking bop, you, you just get wasted, and it's like, oh man, Kenny, Kenny and I... Play some let's let's play some awful fucking video games let's together. Play Bionicle for the PS2. <laughs> man, I can empty my fucking wrists. Oh man, oh it is fun though. It is. I hate it, but it is. But some honorable mentions, yeah, just bad bad games that we've played. Bionicle on the PS2 didn't come out this decade. No. Neither did the other bad game we play half drunkenly, which was Shrek 2. I root. Fuse you to slander my big green boy this way. It, Shrek 2 is not a bad game. <laughs> I refuse to call it a good game because it isn't. But, it I, okay, it is a bad game. But I, I love it. Mm-hmm. And I refuse to let it be called. Oh, oh, it's got that charm. It, it does. Oh, the it's very got abrupt, this eye charm to it. The very abrupt dialogue endings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, more importantly, we'll talk about games that we did enjoy uh, that we haven't already really talked about recently i just beat a rhythm game from 2016 that uh, absolutely put me on my ass called thumper and uh, it's hard to explain thumper and it's, it's not what it sounds like it is not the title of our sex tape no <laughs> but yet yeah yet thumper 2 is the title of our sex tape. thumper 2 we're, we're that man that's a weird sequel progression that is a weird series progression from thumper to thumper 2 goes from rhythm game to sex tape of two not famous podcasters the, it's hard for me to explain what thumper is because it is it is very clear it's supposed to be abstract and weird but the best thing i could say is just that go on youtube look up a bit of gameplay of it and it is chaos. When you play it, it is just constant stress and panic. But it, but it, but it's delivered in a way that it's like meant to keep you tense and focused, and, and you get that rhythm ingrained in you. And the thump, the thump, the boom, boom, boom. And you're moving side to side. You play as a little beetle dude, and you thump and bam, and there's just loud noises, and ah, it's weirdly psychedelic, and, and there's nothing. There's nothing for your eyes to focus on, so you're in constant state of panic, like, oh my god, what is going on? And then by the time you know it, the rhythm is just ingrained in you, and you pass through that level, you hit all the the, the, the little notes and bumps or whatever, and you finish it, and you get that bring at the end of a level, and just like, oh, it's this huge relief, and it just feels amazing to play. It sounds a little bit like... And you're going to hate me for saying this. Uh Uh-oh. Sounds like Geometry Dash. Kind of. Okay, I'm happy you didn't hit me for saying No, 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 no. I understand understand that perspective. It is less... 
iPhone gamey. Yeah, it is less iPhone gamey, and it is also good. Well, I like Geometry Dash. I, I also l- liked uh, the Impossible Game, where the orange square jumping over the in the blue background. Everybody knows that. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. pretty sure that was a big game back in the. Oh, it was back in the Xbox Arcade days. I remember it from the uh, the App Store. It was on the App Store too, but Thumper is is. Whereas those games are meant to get you, you're supposed to be ingrained into like the beat of the EDM to touch the screen or tap the A to jump in order to stay in the rhythm of not hit the spikes and stay on the platforms and whatever. Thumper is, it's, 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 I'm trying to think of a word to describe it because it's, it's, it's certainly not dance music. The music certainly isn't, it's almost just like melodic noise. Like it's like like death grips. Yeah, like it's like the Quake soundtrack, the original Quake soundtrack, d- taken beyond. Like it is just noise, and they're screaming sometimes. Again, the whole point of the game is to keep you in a state of panic, in a tense, focused panic. Just I don't need any more panic in my life. Oh, but I love it. I mean, so do I. I love, I love the it. War Thunder kind of panic, <laughs> where you can always see fighting on the horizon, and you're like, I'm getting closer to that. <laughs> this is gonna hurt. And then it does. And every one of your crew gets knocked out. And then you pull in your pasta can tank, and it rips through. I just... I don't know. I don't like that style of touch, because I haven't played War Thunder, but I have played World of Tanks. And one of the things I don't like about it is one of the reasons why I also don't like the Battlefield series. That being that there is a constant state of tension, but I don't feel like I have any control over it. Because both in World of Tanks and in the Battlefield games, I have just been shot from 100 miles away from a dude I couldn't see who just had, like, a sniper rifle or, like, one of the long-range tanks or whatever. It's just like, oh, I see you over there, little speck on the horizon. It's your time to die. And it's just like... I didn't fight the guy. I didn't even see the guy. I didn't even know he was there. It just feels unfair. I don't know how World of Tanks does it, but with War Thunder, the damage is a lot more um, locational. And so it's not like you have a health bar and if you get hit enough times, you die. You can get hit a hundred times and not even be impeded if they're all bounces. So, like, usually people that are sniping... They either have to be insanely good at the game and aiming at a moving target, which is not really what the game is built for. So if they can do it, I don't even get mad. I'm like, you know what? Good job. You you deserve that. The game is a lot about positioning. It's a lot about like making sure you're around other people on your team and making sure that you're not getting flanked or boogalooed from behind. And that's where, again, a lot of the tension comes in where like, you move very slowly and you're moving towards points on the map where you're supposed to either capture or defend. And especially if you're a bit later into it or if you're slower than everyone else, sometimes the fighting will start before you get there and you're and it's tense because it's like, uh-oh, uh-oh, it's, I'm, I'm getting closer to it. I'm going to fucking explode. I'm going to get a hit. It's going to be terrifying. I hope I can hit them the first, right? And I really like that. And I find that almost horror interesting. I don't know if I'd recommend it to you, Justin. Again, because the 
biggest drawback is it can take you several minutes before you get to actual combat and by then it can instantly kill you without you even seeing it that's the biggest issue Mm. and i but there's kind of no way around it because of how the game is built and so weirdos like me are always going to like it and i think there's something to that the other game that i'd like to talk about is the one that i talked about i'm just going to talk about the two games i talked about at the start of the show is bravely default as well oh christ i'm upset that i got to it so late because it is so good it's really amazing well we'll revisit this later but in a later episode when kenny has actually finished bravely default i want to know if it has supplanted one of one of his games of the decade spots Uh, it very well might i don't know i'll have to which is weird because it's a game that i didn't uh, i'm not actively following it it's a game i didn't hear a lot about when it released i heard it was i heard it was good and i heard that people who were into that were enjoying it because it was very it's a very old school style of jrpg that a lot of people have nostalgic points for final fantasy 6 and 7 stuff like earthbound and chrono trigger those games have a lot of clout and so i heard it from that perspective it's like oh yeah bravely default is like if you enjoyed chrono trigger and final fantasy 6 this is right up your alley Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of people it's the same reason why octopath traveler got really popular there are a lot of people who are starved of that style of game that they used to have and now they don't anymore would I sit and play them? Not actively. But I'm happy they're getting they're getting that. I always feel like it's good to have a wide variety of games in the market. It feels like everything all the big budget games play the same nowadays. Yeah. Okay, I want us to rapid fire go through more of our honorable mentions. Cool. So just name games and sentence or two about it. Uh Dusk. I mentioned this a bit previously. Uh, it is one of the games that's part of the renaissance of the old style shooter. While I do like a medieval a bit better because I find the combat and level design in a medieval to be more slick, I will say for the average Joe who isn't really super invested in that style of classic shooter, I will still say that Dusk is absolutely worth playing because it is a game... There's so much, even even when it does trip and stumble a bit, which it absolutely does in some of the level design aspects, I think, it's a game with a lot of love in it. It's awesome. It's amazing. And if, if you have any interest in the old-style Quaker Unreal shooters, give Dusk a try. It is absolutely worth your time. I mentioned Pokemon Soul Silver as my Pokemon game of the decade. I do kind of want to give a shout-out to the other Pokemon games that came out. This decade that I enjoyed, which includes, it's not a lot of them. It's that's that's a lie. I did <laughs> I did enjoy most of them. What about um? You were super into Sun and Moon when it first came Sun out. Sun and Moon is probably my second favorite. He game. was hyped as hell. I was living with him in the dorms at the time. This man was off the fucking wall, ready for this fucking game. And you loved it. Yeah, it was really good. It was the first full 3D game that I felt was consistent in its graphical style. And I felt it was just good. I just, I don't know, I really enjoyed everything about the game from the characters to the narrative to the spins on the gameplay that they did. How much content they were bringing over from previous games. Except for the fact that they didn't have a Battle Frontier or like an extensive after game. But they still did a lot of stuff. They had the QR code Pokedex. They had Ultra Beasts, which is dumb, but I love it. 
there's there's just a lot of really cool dumb shit in Sun and Moon, and then Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon kind of ruins it, and Rainbow Rocket makes me want to fucking cry. But that's you know that's a story for another day. Also, briefly, I want to talk about all the other Paradox games that I played this past decade. CK two, um, my runner up for Paradox game that I enjoyed the most because again. It's like an RPG simulator of the medieval times, basically. And it's really good. It has the paradox problem of the infinitely expanding DLCs that you have to buy. You have to, I think someone did the math. It's, it can be up to 300 or $200 to get the full CK2 experience, which is fucking maddening. And then there's also the point where it took me about 20 hours to figure out how the game actually worked and that it's very different from like EU4 or Vicky 2 It's still good, but you have to dissociate the fact that you're, you're not playing as a country. You aren't. You're playing as a character and you're trying to optimize what the character is, what the character owns, and what the next, char- the next character you're going to play as is going to be like. Finally enough, from the standpoint of someone who doesn't play that style of grand strategy, the concept of you're, you're not playing as a country's government, but you're playing as just the current head member of that government, I just find that really interesting because obviously you start off as like a king in a monarchy or whatever and you have you have to make sure that you have an heir so that you have somebody else to play next when your current character kicks the bucket and you have to deal with not only just the affairs of outside your country with other kingdoms and other nations that are doing their own thing but like there's a lot from what i've seen when you play there's a lot that you have to you know, any nobles or senators or cabinet members in your country or whatever, you have to deal with them too. You have to deal with internal politics and is there enough food to feed everyone? And I guess that, I guess the whole like food thing is, that's just something in a lot of those grand strategy games. Actually, no, with the food thing, that is less to do with CK2. There is a lot of RNG stuff too that I love. It's like, oh, your character is now gay. Your character is now <laughs> like lots of weird shit that's really memey, and I love it. All I'm gonna say is I sat down and played. Ken convinced me to sit down and play Civilization Five for the first time, and I got two. I got two or three hours in, and I didn't. I couldn't figure out how to feed my people. So that's the level of strategy game Justin was at. <laughs> but hey, maybe when maybe when CK Three releases, we'll do a CK Three cast, and we'll both have played it. Speaking of Justin playing games that he's not used to just to cap off this episode i want to talk about a a go a bit more in depth on a little experiment we're doing (laughs) yes so ken over the course of this episode has explained that he is sort of a jrpg would you use the word connoisseur or is that or is that too much that's too it's too french um (laughs) it's too french i mean it is literally a french word (laughs) i I'd say that I quite enjoy JRPGs. I appreciate a lot of them. I wouldn't say I love most of them, but I do really like a lot of them. And I normally don't. With the exception of... With, with a few exceptions, those being uh, the the Persona games, because I... Uh, Persona, Persona 3, and 
specifically because I haven't played. I plan to play the re-release of Persona 5 when it comes out in March, the Persona 5 Royals or whatever. Persona 3, and I want to I want to play Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door. Other than that, I'm not really drawn to that style of JRPG or turn-based combat. I just find it so boring and draining, and it just wastes my time. That has been my opinion towards JRPGs or that style of combat for a very, very, very long time. However, after knowing Kenny for a while, I have been sort of more open to their to that style of game as Kenny has tried to convince me to expand my horizons. That first happened with Civ Five, where I starved my civilians, Oopsie. and and now we're we're trying something else. So Ken, being a a big fan of the uh, some of the older Final Fantasy games has convinced me to sit and play through Final Fantasy IV, which I will give an honest shake. And I will say that I am dedicated to playing it all the way through to the end. And I want my thoughts on it and Kenny's thoughts on my thoughts as a newbie versus his thoughts as very much a veteran to that style of game as sort of a running bit in our episodes, Justin's progression through Final Fantasy IV and what he likes and what drives him up the wall and what makes him bored and all that sort of stuff. Yes, and what I also want to do to addend to this, which I think we've discussed briefly but haven't really gone in depth on before, is I want to play Dusk as well. See, the difference between me and Justin is I enjoy and play first-person shooters and action games and even some racing games. But he does not do so much with my um, with my wheelhouse. Uh, he's not as big into strategy or, God forbid, JRPGs. Uh, <laughs> you're so fucking funny. Yeah, I want to play Dusk because I give him a lot of shit for being into boomer shooters. But yeah, I, I think that we should both give each other our games a fair shake. There's a big time disparity between Dusk and Final Fantasy IV. First playthrough probably clocked in around three and a half hours. Also, the reason I picked Final Fantasy IV for him to play, first off, it's a game that I've played before, mm -hmm. so it's something I have a frame of reference for. But also, Final Fantasy IV is fucking bonkers, and I love it. How many hours are you into the game, Justin? I am currently about four and a half hours in. I think four hours and 40 minutes, I think, is my exact number on my save file. So we'll round the stats. We'll say five. About five hours. And I understand that that is nothing compared to what is expected for this kind of game which as far as i understand is 40 hours this is not a game that could have been made today <laughs> this game is bizarre in a very entertaining way and that's one of the things that's sort of keeping me to push through to the end is wow this thing is fucking weird and of course i am turned off every once in a while by how much of a drag the combat feels like and moving around the overworld and through the dungeons feels like as random encounters and new enemy types that you have to basically just throw everything at until you find out what its specific weaknesses and especially fights with bigger enemies sort of mini bosses or bosses of particular areas just oh i feel like they drag on oh i feel like their health bars are just fucking 500 miles long but then after you beat those moments, and even with even with getting more to grips with how the what the game wants for me in terms of how to approach combat and what the strategy is, I've learned more of what the game wants for me rather than just press attack every time you're able to. You know, you want your mages to be doing different things and keeping everyone alive. 
those moments when they're in between and all the weird wacky stuff happens is great and it's surprisingly enough for jrpgs they're they're brief and i don't i don't know if that i don't know if that's intentional or if that was the limitations of the super nintendo at the time because from what i see for a lot of modern variations is that cutscenes can be 15 20 minutes long and characters just ramble and ramble and ramble and repeat themselves and i thought that's what i was getting in for and i was like wow no these sections are really weird which makes them really interesting and bizarre and they're and they're brief they get right to the punchline and it's it's keeping me hooked i'm gonna be honest do you have a favorite character so far do i have a favorite character so far um probably the the old man the wizard what's his name i can't actually can't remember his name it's not yang no yang is the karate dude that's the monk yeah oh man is he a character <laughs> oh man, does he have some flair to him? You spoony bard. Oh, he is he's hysterical. Not and it's not to say because all characters essentially have because of the. It's weird because the comedy comes from at least from my perspective the comedy of it, it comes from characters because obviously all of the characters you play as are knights or mages that are used to this fantastical world. It's these characters having these fantastical bizarre things happen to them but sort of reacting in a mundane way almost like watching an those old star trek episodes where because to the people who who, who live in the star trek universe yes this advanced technology of of teleporting and and stuff and flying through space and whatnot that's all normal to them and so they are react mundanely to it but then you watch it as as a viewer and especially back at the time it was like Oh man, they're able to teleport and stuff, and whoa, they have blasters and lizard people. It's great, you know. And it's very cheesy. I love it. Oh yeah, I love <laughs> I love the original run of Star Trek, especially the rampant misogyny. 